Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is our review of Big Little Lies, Season 2, Episodes 5 through 7. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to an episode of the Next Best Series podcast where we review television. We are here today to talk about the final three episodes of season two, Big Little Lies on HBO. Here to help me talk about the ending to one of the most star-studded HBO shows of all time, I have Michael Schwartz. No more lies. Ryan C. Showers. I got what I needed. And... Deanne Knighton. I don't have anything really that sharp to say. So hello. Uh, Hello. How is everyone doing? Good. Hopefully uh, better than the uh, Monterey Five. Let's just uh, leave it at that, shall we? Hey, I think that they're all in a good place. (laughs) Really? Well, before the the last 30 seconds, they all kind of got what they needed. Well, let's be uh, completely honest here. I think that they are in a pretty shitty place, but... If the reports are to be believed, we're not going to find out if that is true or not. Because, f- by all accounts, unless if uh, the stars align and the schedules all miraculously come together somehow, it does not look like we will be getting Big Little Lies Season 3. So, how this ended is how it ends. I can't wait to dive into this a little bit more, Matt, because you and I sound like we are on... Total opposite ends of how we interpret this. Oh, my dear Christ. When has that ever happened, Michael, between you and I? First in MVP history. Something weird is happening. We must alert the church elders. (laughs) Uh, yeah. I have some. Let's just dive right into it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, so let's 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 get the um, let's get one thing out of the way, because as soon as we were done recording our last episode, news broke about this whole controversy between Andrea Arnold and the showrunners uh, and how essentially she was not really in control of the vision for this second season. I mean, like, you know, she shot it. But I mean, if you take a look at the credits and you see how many editors are a part of this show, this particular season. I I always kind of felt that something was funky with the editing this year, but this uh, news story kind of reconfirmed everything that I was feeling in regards to Andrea Arnold was never really given the full control to make this her own. They very much wanted this to be in the same style that Jean-Marc Vallée had started with season one. And we even commented on that on the last episode. Well, I think she actually was given control to do it her own way. But when they saw what her own way was, that's where the problem started. Well, see, I don't know. I don't. It's hard because you like the style. I know. But who wants like, I mean, 
Like, are we going to say jo- uh, Joss Whedon should should make a different tone of Buffy each season that he did it? Like, I think it's stupid. Like, I think that it should be consistent. That's why we watch the show. I mean, look, I feel I feel badly for Andrea Arnold um, for c- HBO circumventing her and not really communicating well or having this planned out well or developed well or having a good communication with her about what they wanted from uh, from season two. Um but at the same time, I think the story and keeping um, consistency with the style and the characters and the way that the story is told, which is very specific and unique, is the most important thing. Um, and I do uh, I understand why people are upset about about um, the IndieWire story, uh, but I do think that this is more common in television than it is in the indie movies we usually see at the Oscars, where directors have ultimate control. Um, and besides, Big Little Lies is not is not like a moonlight. It is a huge blockbuster event. It's like Game of Thrones, like you know the how the Game of Thrones creators talked about that uh, the show after it ended. They said it was a big um, ship to set, and that's kind of like Big Little Lies. And unfortunately, I don't think one person can have. 100% creative control whenever there is so much weighing on this big ship. Yeah, I think it's really hard because kind of like you were saying, Matt, like everything we talked about in terms of like those first four episodes was that we kind of appreciated that it still had some of that style carrying through. But I think that got less consistent in like episode five and six. I kind of felt like we're a little bit of a different show. And so what I what's so hard about all of this, right, is we don't know what her contributions are. We don't know what they changed. We don't know we don't know the answers to any of that. But it, you know, and it sounds like it, you know, like you said Ryan, the miscommunication is unfortunate, but also the fact that people aren't really commenting on specifics, all of the people involved in the show makes me think there's a whole a whole lot more to this story and that they're choosing, you know, to kind of just try and keep it as copacetic as possible without it becoming a big deal. But that, you know, maybe what needed to be done needed to be done. I just don't know if we'll ever know. I think it's just difficult because let's be honest, if we knew every single behind the scenes story about every single piece of art that was put out into the world, I'm sure we could talk about some sort of a controversy or some sort of a back and forth pull of creative control all day long. It is a collaborative medium at the end of the day. And we don't usually know those stories. So our minds immediately say, okay, it's the director's vision. The director is the person who gets the credit for if it's good. And the director gets the credit for if it is bad. And then when we find out these stories, when we find out particulars, it muddies that, you know, that line a little bit more, makes it a little bit more gray, obviously. And the optics are not good considering that she is a female uh, director and this is a show run by a powerhouse in David E. Kelly. And so with all that kind of out of the way, I think now that the show is over, I can safely say that this is an inferior season to season one. And I'm not going to lay any blame on anyone in particular for that. I still think this season had its high moments, some moments that we will definitely get into here. But I think across the board, looking at it as a whole, um, I prefer season one to season two. Yeah, like even just look at the writing, that wasn't Andrea Arnold. And I think that is actually where a lot of the problems were, especially in this back half of this particular well, part. So and it's funny because I actually commented on 
um, David E. Kelly's writing in our first episode and how I actually think the dialogue is even was even better this time around um, than, than in season one. Um, I, I don't disagree. I think season one is an overall better product, but I do think I have a little more nuance to how I see season one versus season two. I think um, the, I think the writing and the individual acting from the six leads is better in season two, but the overall arc and um, the directing is better materialized or better realized from in season one. Just one quick thing on that, Ryan. I was going to say it does feel like some of the writing issues had to do with the fact that they had this amazing cast and trying to make it make sense for you know all of those women to have a moment. I felt that a little bit forced in some of the later episodes. I don't know if you guys felt that. Well, yeah, I, I think a large reason for that too is because of the shortened run lengths of uh, the season two episodes. Uh, everyone did notice that they were roughly around 47, 50 minutes long versus season one where they got, say, like like an extra 10 minutes or so per episode. Well, yeah, people have been complaining about that, but I don't see that as a bad thing. I I'm, I prefer conciseness to extravagance. Well, if that's, if that's what you prefer, then I, I guess the final few minutes of the final episode was up your alley then because they kind of tried to... Well, so I think that what... Um, David E. Kelly did with the season finale is specifically different than how they did the end of the first season because they did they wrote the first season as a contained series, a limited series. Uh, this one, I feel like David E. Kelly's roots came out and he wrote the season two finale more as a traditional television series finale where a uh, season finale where they wrap up most of the character arcs for that singular season and the main storylines for that season but they still leave hanging a lot of um, fertile soil for um, the next season mm -hmm. i think that david e. kelly did that and i think that's what's tripping up a lot of people um i mean i i've watched a lot of tv and i see uh, to me it was just it was clear as day exactly what he was doing and i think that's maybe why i'm more positive on the way that season two ends than other people are because I, I don't think season three is as closed as people think, even with the even with the news. Reports. I'll tell you right now, I, I hope it's not, because if it is, it's going to sour how I feel about the show overall, because you're right, Ryan. There's a lot of threads that are left dangling, I think, from the aftermath of such a drastic decision that the Monterey Five choose to do, which is they all come together to confess the lie. And that ties into, remember last episode we brought up what are what is up with these police interrogation videos? Well, yeah. now we know. <laughs> it wasn't from the night of the incident. HBO is smarter than this to leave such a huge kind of cliffhangery type of a thing. But also I could see a world where, you know, Michael hasn't really gotten to say anything yet about his opinion, but I could see a world where someone would feel satisfied with this being the end. It's not like, it's not the actual event. It's what leads up to it. It's the realization that they need to confess the lie to cleanse themselves. I, I can see that. But before, I, I but before be Michael chimes in, I, I agree with you. I mean, in terms of it is a, you know, the lie is something that's been haunting them and they, they always kind of make reference to it to each other. Oh, the lie, the lie is going to get us. It's, it's going to ruin us, etc. So them all coming together instead of one of them individually to confess it uh, does send a very powerful message. But 
Now I'm wondering, okay, Celeste just got her children back. Now what happens? Uh, Ed just renewed his wedding vows, uh, you know, to Madeline. Now what happens? There's a lot of stuff where I'm just like, no, you can't just leave it there now. I, it is uh, it is conflicting, uh, and I reflected on that um, later um, the, uh, in this uh, in the afternoon today. I I don't know. I do think that everything that was done was done with with reason. I don't think that David E. Kelly was just throwing shit on a page. I think uh, I, I the structure of his script in this final episode really rings true to me of something like in a good wife season or something. I don't know. Well, he needed the ending to act as both a season finale and a series finale, just in case. And I think he's mostly successful. Like, you know, the, the character arcs are so well, are so well done. And specifically, I want to talk about Bonnie. Like, you know, I've, I think it's safe to say none of us were really sure, like where exactly they were going um, when we recorded the first episode, but they, in episode six, I think episode six is Nicole Kidman's, episode through and through but bonnie gets this one scene where her entire season storyline crystallizes and it is just like you know the sun coming through clouds like and zoe kravitz is amazing are you talking about the um thing that she imagines herself doing and the confession to her mother i'm talking about specifically the confession to her mother where she reads out of her diary that scene blew me away um, where it just everything that Bonnie was experiencing, everything that we were seeing her, but not really understanding about her, everything, all the visions, all of like her, the flashbacks with her mother, everything made sense in that moment. And then that leads to this big, um, the big revelations that she has in episode seven, where she eventually breaks it off with Nathan. And I, I just think that that was so well realized as a season arc. I, I give David Kelly. So much credit. You know why? You know why, Ryan? You know why? Because it was a bunch of little lies that she was holding on to when she revealed it. It was a big thing. Get it? Big little lies. <laughs> well, but then also, like, what Bonnie's going through ties in extremely well with Celeste's storyline and the and Mary Louise and this idea of parent-child relationships that are abusive and how it affects and. Uh, how it transforms children and haunts them later in life and you know the different expressions of it like celeste's children um you know biting renata's ch- um children in season one zoe Kra- i'm not sorry bonnie pushing perry out of this you know deep-seated uh, ha- like you know yeah ha- she tells her mother i was pushing you when i did yeah. it mm-hmm. like so okay, so this is all a lot of information here, and I feel like we're going on. A, I was I was ready to cut you off, Ryan, and be like, "Yeah, we we were supposed to get to Michael." <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Sorry, Michael. Michael. I mean, I could I, I could spare everyone and say Michael liked it, and we can move on. But I want to hear what he has to say. Well, it, it's not just as simple as Michael liked it, because for anyone who's been following me on Twitter over these last couple of weeks, you'll know that while I agree with Ryan and what he said about there being a tighter structure in season one, I do think that the acting in season two is what kept my interest even more than the first season if i'm going to go back and watch the season of big little lies again i think it would be this one because i think there were so many interesting elements overall especially coming from the actors that i would rather go see what was going on there even though it might not be as tightly structured as what we saw back in 2017 so as for this finale the thing that we started talking about at first for the purposes of this conversation and until I'm proven otherwise, I'm going to refer to it as the series finale because there's no indication that there is anything after this. 
And I think it serves as an outstanding series finale. Now, if it turns out that there is another season, I think it would also be a strong season finale. But assuming this is the last time we get to see these characters, I think the direction in which they are headed in the final shot is pitch perfect and represents everything this show you know, has shown us over the past two years. For, for a show called Big Little Lies and about characters who are you know, always having something in the back of their mind, something that can't give them any satisfaction or happiness, here's a moment at the very end where they realize that the only way that they can move forward in their lives is by coming clean of this thing that's giving them such guilt. And in the final minutes of the show, you see uh, Madeline renew her vows. You see everyone, you know, do what they have to do in their personal lives and have a sense of happiness. But the thing that keeps them from that total happiness is the incident that happened the night of the school benefit when, you know, Alexander Skarsgård fell down the steps or was pushed down the steps. <laughs> and I think that moment of them coming clean with that is, is going to allow them to go forward. And that's not necessarily anything we need to see. It's just life going on, and it's the revelation that they are able to get to this place that brings the characters full circle. Well, and also, just to be clear, they every secret that these people had had been ripped out and thrown into the public eye over season two. Everything with Renata's husband, you know, Celeste's, like, sex life being the subject of court proceedings. I mean, there is they no all more hit low lies. Points. There's no, there are no more lies to keep hidden. There's no, there are no more secrets. And, and in the final few minutes, you saw them get rid of all of them except... But don't you feel that the repercussions and the fallout of that is equally as important? I don't. I think life goes on, and I don't think everything in these characters' lives need to be shown to us. It reminds me of something like... This is going to be a really weird analogy, but just bear with me here. In the series finale of The Golden Girls, okay? Bear, bear with me here. Finale <laughs> of The Golden Girls. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of Big Little Lies Season 2, Episodes 5 through 7, part of the Next Best Series podcast under the Next Best Picture podcast, which you can subscribe to under all of the relevant podcast networks. However, in order to get the full-length review here, you will have to head over to our Patreon channel, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get this, along with other exclusive podcasts from nextbestpicture.com. Thank you so much for listening to us. As always, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we will see you all next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.